This is Peter calling from the south of Sweden. Just to let you know that you're listening to the Horror Movie Podcast, where they're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. October is the best month of the year around here, and we're celebrating Halloween by reviewing in-depth the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and we're doing it Horror Movie Podcast style. This is episode 71, and this is the second part of our five-part series, and tonight we'll be reviewing... A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, and also A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And we usually don't reveal spoilers on this podcast, but since we're doing these in-depth, just be forewarned, we'll be covering spoilers for at least the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-host tonight is... Wolfman Josh. And in my dreams, I'm the wizard master. <laughs> and that is not the power I would have imagined you would pick. <laughs> I'm beautiful and bad. Right. <laughs> You're both. And uh, Dr. Shock, he uh, fell asleep getting ready for this podcast. So he, he is battling Freddy as we speak. And also <laughs> a hurricane. Apparently there's a terrible storm as we record this. On the East Coast. His power went out, so hopefully he'll be jumping on at some point this evening, but we just don't know at this point. And there is no way to wake him up. But we have good news. We're going to compensate for the being one man down, and that is we have a very special guest tonight. I'm always super excited when we have this guy on because, to be perfectly honest, Josh, I have not gotten to podcast with him a ton but every time I have, I've been very impressed. Every time I've uh, enjoyed his show, they do a lot of good things over there. So I want to welcome back the man, the myth, the legend. He is Chris Robo of Rotten Rantings Horror Podcast. Hello. Thank you for the accolades. I appreciate that. Uh, you guys are man down. I consider myself at least half a man. So maybe <laughs> you're only half a man down. Nice. That's great. So, Chris, tell us what's going on with Rotten Rantings. I understand there are some pretty big developments on the horizon. Mm-hmm. The Rotten Rantings yacht has sunk. It is oh. officially <laughs> no. the last, uh, well, actually, you will hear two more episodes of Rotten Rantings. The next episode is the last official Rotten Rantings episode, and that'll be released about a week probably after, well, Maybe not, because you. Maybe we're recording in uh, in advance here, but mm-hmm. it'll probably be released around the same time as this is coming out, and then we will be doing a Halloween episode, and we plan to do a yearly Halloween thing. But the official Rotten Rantings cast has come to an end. But uh, if that makes you sad, then <laughs> you will get to continue to hear Katie and myself and our new podcasting endeavor which is entitled Casual Encounters, which is a podcast <laughs> where we, as you, since you're already laughing, I think you can surmise what exactly we're reading. We're reading um, Craigslist ads, a lot of which are in the Casual <laughs> Encounters section. And then Brilliant. we are deciding if this whole human race thing was a mistake or... <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll be we've gone from reviewing horror movies to reviewing Craigslist ads, basically. <laughs> well, a lot of them are written with about as much um, care and concern. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds equally as horrific as well. So <laughs> yes, actually, that's a brilliant idea. I love that. Now, if I may ask. Was this inspired by something like, you know, the background of Tusk or um, Safety Not Guaranteed? Did it come from those, Chris? Um, no. Basically, it was, we just had an idea where we were like, hmm, let's try to be funny. And, you know, what What are these shows that are funny, like Tosh.0 or Ridiculousness? Well, they're funny, even if the people on the show isn't necessarily funny, like the material is funny. So as long as we pick funny ads, Katie and I can just be as lazy as possible and <laughs> sort of add our our particular brand of comedy, which I think you're either in line with or you're not. And um, hopefully that that'll sync up. And this is a brilliant idea. I see you guys being featured on This American Life within mm-hmm. the year. So. We, I mean, we yeah. will be the next serial. We don't have big, <laughs> we don't have big ambitions, but I think we will be the next. Yeah, at least the most popular podcast of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. So when it is officially launched, now, now do you have a launch date or did I miss it? Sorry. We don't have a launch date. It will. There will be no downtime from Rotten Rantings. The, the, as of our recording right now, the next Rotten Rantings will be coming out in basically like a week. And the, there will be no downtime onto the next podcast, which will be a weekly podcast instead of bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. And nice. we've already got, if you want to go to RottenRantings.com right now, we've already got a rough outline of the feed. We're basically just poaching the Rotten Rantings domain to post our what will be casual encounters <laughs> and uh, keep keep the feed and everything going so we aren't losing any, we're not having any downtime. Yeah, and for the listeners out there, if you've never heard uh, Chris and Katie Rotts, um, they are hilarious together. And so... I'm very intrigued by this. I like this idea. I think it's going to be fun. Congrats, brother. Thank you. All right. Well, we're happy you're here to join us for a little bit of Freddy Krueger action. Now, just just so we know up front, are you one of these um, mythical people? No, I'm just kidding, Josh. <laughs> one of these people out there who loves Freddy Krueger? Because Josh has been trying to pull in people who are super huge Freddy fans. A Fredhead, as it were. Right, as it were, yeah, Fredhead. <laughs> Is that you, brother? No, I mean, I appreciate... <laughs> well, me... brilliant. I love that. Yeah, no, but with the caveat of I do really enjoy the first Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I would give it like a nine. And also, I really enjoyed Dream Warriors, which I think I gave it like an 8.5 or a nine or something like that. <laughs> so I really enjoy both of those movies. I think most people that have just don't have a disdain for the series like those movies. Yeah. Yeah. I got but you. the 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 jokier Freddy and you guys had me on before for Freddy versus Jason. Right. <laughs> that wasn't necessarily my cup of tea either. <laughs> you know, you guys only want me here to talk about these off the wall Freddy movies. Yeah, we we're trying to get you for the worst ones. So well, we just need a man with versatility and ability and that is you so i mean that's why you're here and i I, josh i feel really bad because like he was just saying he likes one he likes three he didn't say anything about two so 
Yeah, got him, got him right in the middle there. But the, the good thing is this movie's got a lot of casual encounters, so yeah. there should something be something to talk about. I feel uniquely qualified to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds good. So without further delay, then let's move into our feature review of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Yeah. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Fight him. Watch out for him. He'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part Two. My children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> All right, so Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, is the story, it's the tale of a person that's wrestling with an inner demon who just so happens to be Freddy. Or should I say inner demons, maybe? Because mm. Freddy may be allegorical yes. for something else completely. In fact, I'm pretty sure he is. Wow. I'm really excited about that already. Because, in fact, Chris, I'm sorry, I'm like the worst host ever basically i'm already derailing us and you're doing a good job but you just sparked something that i have been waiting for like what two weeks josh or something to ask you do you remember in the first in our previous episode episode 70 where we covered the first nightmare on elm street movie and that is as of right now not released yet so chris hasn't gotten to hear that but josh has waited with bated breath he, he is really excited i could tell mm-hmm. um <laughs> so so you talked about this, uh, what's that thing when you're awake, but you're actually having a nightmare? What did you describe it as? Oh, um. This isn't going well. Sleep like, paralysis? Yes, yeah, sleep thank, paralysis. Thank I'm sorry. I just got to tell the listeners, I got up at uh, 3 a.m. this morning to watch uh, these two movies before work. So I, You're an awakened dream right now. Yeah. You might be experiencing sleep paralysis. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, so, I mean, I'm. Except you can't move your tongue instead of your arms. <laughs> yeah. So Josh my... is the old hag on the other side of the microphone, <laughs> like slowly creeping in on you as you're. Yeah. I mean, seriously. So uh, my mind is kind of mushy. But but in that last episode, you kind of teased us with something, Josh, that I heard during editing again. And I'm like, why didn't I ask him about that? You said that the people who experience this usually encounter a dark figure. Like there will be a dark figure in their room. And sometimes the dark figure is wearing a hat. And you said that there are theories about who this is or what this dark figure is. Well, I got to know, Josh, what do people say that is? Because that's awfully freaky. Oh, all kinds of things. I mean, I want to I want to get into this more when we actually have our documentary horror episode when we when we uh, cover the nightmare. But okay, I mean, people do believe that it's um, 
spiritual, that this is some kind of satanic thing. There are other people who believe it's aliens. There are others who believe it's like a men in black thing. Like these are the guys come to erase your memory because you've been abducted by aliens. Um, like the dark city a little bit. Yeah. The prevailing belief is that it's some kind of spiritual demon kind of thing. And in fact, when we reviewed doc brought it up with the little troll standing on, Oh, when we reviewed doc talked about Gothic, that's what it was. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes, I do. And that, that, um, image is based on a famous painting and that painting is supposedly one of the first images to depict sleep paralysis. So, wow. It goes way back. Okay, now, now, Chris Robo, do you experience uh, sleep paralysis? Because you seem to be familiar with it. No, I do not. But I have seen that nightmare documentary that Josh was speaking of. And I've also worked with a guy who was describing sleep paralysis to me. And I was like, well, have you ever heard of sleep paralysis? Or sometimes it's colloquially known as old hag syndrome because... I find it really weird and fascinating that there are these archetypes, presumably, in the human psyche. Because a a lot of people, and I sort of guess that that's what gives some of these cockamamie ideas some sort of validity, is that a lot of these people are seeing the same things. They're seeing this old hag or witch that starts out in the doorway and then slowly creeps to the edge of their bed. Or in the case of my co-worker whom I carpooled with he said that he would see a guy in a ski mask and he like at first it started out that it, it was a sense of dread and he was stuck in his bed and he felt like someone was in in the house and he could he just knew that someone was downstairs in the house like getting through the breaking the window or getting through the door but he couldn't move and then it would progress slowly to someone peeking their head around his open door standing in a doorframe and it was always a guy wearing a ski mask and then progressed to him slowly coming to the bed. And if you watch that nightmare documentary, I mean, it gives you goops bumps because Mm -hmm. I could just imagine being paralyzed and all of these, whether it's an alien or a witch or a guy in a ski mask or a guy in a hat, they all seem to want to get as close to you as possible And the crescendo is they're on your chest and you feel like you're having a panic attack a lot of times. Do they give you goops bumps, Chris? That's one thing I'm wondering about. Goops? They give me goof bumps, (laughs) which is the street term for crystal meth, (laughs) which also explains my stuttering because I, too, have been up since 3 o'clock. That's amazing we've both been up since 3. But no, like that. what you said about them moving ever toward you ever closer ever closer that is you know there's something about that let's let's kind of like if we can't i'm sorry i totally derailed this but when like for example in ghost movies when the ghost comes like screaming at the person i'm always like yeah that's weird but it's like so what you're a ghost like what are you gonna do go through me or something it's like why is why is the approach so threatening for us, especially with these figures you're describing? Presumably, the approach is slow and creeping, right? Yeah, if you want a good movie that I think showcases that very well, as it follows. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they talk about with sleep paralysis, this pressure on your chest, not being able to breathe, not being able to move. And um, again, that painting, which I looked up, is actually called The Nightmare, the same as the documentary. Um, 
It was an oil painting from 1781 uh, by Henry Fuseli. But um, it's basically recreated almost exactly on the cover of the 1986 film Gothic. But it's, it's like a little demon or troll sitting directly on top of a woman's chest. So, yeah, it's kind of that sensation as well. Which wow. would be kind of crushed. Yeah, I mean, see, I honestly, I, I think I believe I experienced this, you guys. But but it's not it's not being stuck, but it's waking up. And I can move and everything, but, like, I'll wake up and always see something freaky. Usually it's a giant bug of some sort. And, like, it was just, I think it was just earlier this evening because I took, I did take a little nap for an hour. And when I got up, um, there was, like, this giant... It was kind of like a dragonfly thing on my curtain, but it looked like it was radioactive because it was like kind of glowing a little bit. <laughs> that sounds so dumb. I hate it when I talk. So anyway, <laughs> anyway and, and it, it was freaky because it was like so huge and I was like getting up to like contend with this bug. And, um, and, and then just at some point it kind of goes away. But it's weird because that line, kind of like in these movies, the line between waking up and going to sleep is just, you can't even perceive it. But anyways, I'm sorry, Chris Robo. Forgive me for all of this. Um, please continue. No, not at all. I think that I think that it ties into what we're talking about with Freddie and everything. Not to keep on a rant, though, but I, I wanted to ask you guys, because I've been the only person that I've ever known that has experienced this, so... I figured I'd ask you, and maybe I put it out to your listeners because I know you guys have a really active message board. But have you guys ever died in your own dreams or seen yourself be killed mm. in your own dream? Yes, no. really. I have died before. I've I've mm-hmm. hit I've hit the ground like falling, like huge distances where you would die. But I didn't die in real life, right? Like well, I anticipated. <laughs> but I thought you know I had always heard that you would. But I have died in a dream. What about you, Chris? Yes. One of my most vivid memories, I had this dream when I was five years old. And weird, like weirdly, it actually fits in with this. Because I had those kind of bad parents, I guess, or really cool parents, depending <laughs> on uh, what spectrum you fall on, that let me watch uh, things like Halloween when I was five and uh, <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like five or six. And I think I had watched A Nightmare on Elm Street. <clears throat> and I was like five or six when I had this dream and I don't remember dreams to this day. Like I, I, I'm one of those persons, I, people, they say you, uh, you dream every night, but don't, I just don't remember it when I wake up the next day. I always say I had a dreamless night. Well, this one, I remember very vividly that I was hiding underneath a porch and a guy, it was one of those porches that has mesh to it. You know, the, like the wooden, cheap wooden plank meshes where you can see if people are walking outside Yeah, and someone was chasing me and I was hiding from this person and they walked past and I thought I was okay. And then they did that whole back step. Like they knew I was there the entire time. <laughs> and then they leaned down and moved the mesh and saw me and pulled me out. And then I have no idea why this was in my mind, but they had a tomahawk and they scalped me and I saw it like my I went out Whoa. of my body as a five-year-old <laughs> child and saw myself being scalped by that this person. Crazy. That yeah. is intense. Really intense. Is That's something that's stuck with me for, you know, I'm 32 now, so it's stuck for me for all those years. 
I'm having second thoughts about telling my children about the Holocaust and slavery before I tuck them into bed at night. It's a good, probably a good idea. <laughs> you don't, do you do that, Josh? Or all, are the you just, uh, all the time. All the time. Like, uh, are you messing with me? Because I no, never I know really, with you. Because I, do it, I do it all the time, seriously. Because I don't know why, but my kids ask a lot of questions. And uh, it just happened the other night because my wife wasn't really privy to this <laughs> until the other day. And I said something like, hey, if you go brush your teeth, I'll tell you about the Underground Railroad. <laughs> She was like, what did you just say? Like, oh, yeah, I've been talking to them about slavery every night for the last week. Oh, my goodness. You get an A, I'll tell you about Goebbels next week. (laughs) Well, he's not old enough to get an A. He's only four years old. Oh, even better. (laughs) Oh, oh, uh, Josh, you are such a good dad. I just want to tell you that. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Okay. No, thank you, Chris. Now, now I have your nightmare to think about, and maybe I'll end up having, like getting scalped. Seriously, that would be one of the worst things you could ever experience. I can't even imagine that. That's horrifying. I don't know how my five-year-old brain came up with that, but I'm pretty sure I had that dream maybe the night of or not long after watching Nightmare on Elm Street as a child. Wow. Okay. All right, brother. Well, let's... uh. Let's get underway. I'm sorry that I've just been clowning around and so forth. But so Freddy's Revenge, tell us the premise to this puppy real quick. Well, the premise is you don't really have a final girl in this movie. You have a final boy, I suppose. Final fella. A final fella. (laughs) Hashtag final fella. That That is working his way through being possessed by Freddy. Rather than Freddy going through your dreams and systematically picking off kids as he normally would in any other movie in the franchise. Freddie has decided to, yeah. <laughs> to, to make Jesse his, his vehicle of destruction. Make Jesse his B. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. you know, we push, we push limits here, but anyway, um, <laughs> go ahead, sir. So this is, well, first of all, let me ask you, when okay, upon revisiting this, I get that everybody's ticked off that it doesn't really follow the uh, usual Freddy lore and the way that he typically works. However, I don't know what it is about this, but I I actually kind of like this movie. If I'm being honest, you guys. I do too, dude. Me too. Okay, cool. Because like like that opening scene, like where the school bus ends up on the 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 cliff of the two little like. Road that part I don't like. That reminded me of Superman Returns when they, <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, I, but the imagery, I thought, it, I think it just looks. It's so it's imaginative, yeah. yeah, and it's like really kind of exciting, and um, I, I love the association with the school bus being taken away by the the pedophile. But I, I think that's really scary. But anyways, um. I'm sorry, guys. So I guess for this episode, I'm just going to put her out there. I'm going to be totally incoherent, apparently, because my brain is not working. But go ahead, Chris. No, I kind of like this movie, too. It has a weird dichotomy for me, whereas I think if you treat this movie like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, you might be a bit disappointed. But for me, there's a weird 80s nostalgia to this that you watch this movie and it comes off like a video that you saw on MTV or VH1 yeah. when you should have been in sleep, asleep. You, know? <laughs> you should have been in bed and there's this weird video and just the 
the cinematography of it. There's some really great scenes that go on with it. This has one of the best, I think, practical effect scenes of any of the of the Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, outside of the big like the worm and the and the room and things like that, but actual just makeup practical effects. Like the chest burster, is that what you were talking about? Yes, yes, exactly. That's akin to like uh, American Werewolf in London. It's it's yeah. that it's that good. But then you're plagued by horrible editing and a plot that doesn't make any sense and an exploding parakeet. An exploding parakeet. <laughs> These this, yeah. this 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 theme that's supposed to be subtext, which is almost beating you over the head. To the point where it's like borderline, like almost offensive. How how you, you see on it becomes offensive in the bedroom dance sequence. Actually, <laughs> I mean it. It, it becomes really? offensive with the way that they. It becomes offensive with the way that they treat it. Like no one would see what was going on here. That everyone plays coy. Like, <laughs> like you watch yeah. the um, <clears throat> you watch the uh, Never Sleep Again and. Uh, the director, like, well, the writer sort of fesses up that it was supposed to be there and, uh, as a subtext, but it's really, I think it's really overbearing. And then everybody else is like, well, I just, I just didn't know. We just didn't, we just thought we were shooting a horror film. We just, you know, like, are you just playing coy here? Or I, yeah. And the, the actor know. Mark was like, if everyone on the internet is calling this the homo nightmare on Elm street, then a lot, a bunch of adult men should have known that that's what we were making, you know? Um, let's actually listen to a clip from never sleep again so that, uh, the audience can hear what we're talking about. Cause this is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Almost all the horror films of the eighties featured women as the protagonist. And it's not hard to understand why it just made the sexual threat and the chemistry richer. But they, I, I think they had to have made Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two to discover that. Because when you suddenly cast your male lead in the victim role, you're gonna have some people going, well, you know, that's not the manliest performance I've ever seen. You know, we've always pussyfooted around this. Look, it was supposed to be subtext. All right, it really was. David Chaskin, without a doubt, knew what he was writing. And I started thinking about guys being like unsure of their sexuality. And I thought, well, that's pretty scary. We made Nightmare 2 absolutely clueless that it had any gay overtones whatsoever. There was so much like S&M and uh, this really precarious relationship between Mark Patton and I throughout the movie. Uh, You know, this is probably the top gun of franchise horror films. But looking back, it was so gay. It was amazing. But everything he did amplified it. You have a board game named Probe on it. He has a sign on the door that says, no chicks allowed. The production designer in the film was gay. And I think it became like an inside joke, which they thought nobody would really pick up on. Jesse rejects his girlfriend to go and stay at the house with the best friend. I need you to let me stay here tonight. Are you out of your mind? I can't believe that this particular line is written this way. Something is trying to get inside my body and you want to sleep with me. Sounds like, you know, and you want to sleep with me. <laughs> and then at that point, I realized, you know, a lot of people are going to go down this road with these, these two boys. 
and you get the the one of those sort of strangest, sim, most symbolic scenes potentially uh, in horror history as Freddy tears his way out of Jesse's body. I remember the screenplay said distinctly, Freddy bursts out of Jesse. That's all it said. There was no description of what we're going to do. And then you have uh, Coach Schneider's character. He, like the character of Jesse, had some secrets. The coach's balls being part of the attack. I'm, I'm trying to think through whether or not there was something Freudian about that. I don't think it was my idea to snap Marshall's bare ass with towels. You get what you give in life. And Coach Snyder was really good at giving, and he wasn't really great at receiving. If there was one thing that I could delete from my filmography in my entire life, it would be that fancy in my bedroom. Risky Business had had this very successful scene with Tom Cruise. We were just ripping on that particular pop culture deal. With some really uncool dance moves. He said, look, I've got it all worked out. Just roll the cameras and let it go, and I'll give you a whole performance. Oh, God. <laughs> this is not what I had in mind. I, I understand that the video was played in, the, in gig clubs a lot. It'll go along forever and ever and ever, and my butt will be bouncing. And, and again, it was a choice. It was another one of those choices that really brought the subtext way up right in your face. Freddie appeals to, to the questions that Jesse's asking himself. I think there was a certain amount of seduction going on between Freddie and Jesse. There always is a dance with Freddie. There always is a seduction. There always is a dare. He could also represent just the, the just the taunt. You son of a! And I think that's what I was doing in Nightmare on Elm Street. Is uh, I was revealing who I really was, and I think that came clearly through the the screen. In fact, I may be the first male screen queen. As a sequel to a pretty successful film, that they went that direction and made those choices. Pretty ballsy. No pun intended. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 rocked Europe because they picked up on the whole psychosexual, homoerotic subtext. They love that film in Europe. Crack Magazine sent me the 10 gayest horror movies ever made. And Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was number one. That I wear like a badge of honor. All I can say is we were all incredibly naive or all incredibly latently gay. I'm not sure which. The biggest one to me is the Ron and Jesse stuff. I mean, they're very, I mean, even though the Coach Schneider stuff is kind of the most in your face when he shows up at the S&M bar, yeah. um, the Ron and Grady stuff feels legitimate. Like maybe these are two guys who don't know how to express these feelings they're having for each other and kind of trying to figure that out. And it's actually pretty well done if that was the intent, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and it's weird because like in the, like one of the very first scenes, they they get into a scuffle, right? And then yeah. and then you realize, oh, they're actually friends because he he seems like a scuffle in which they pull each other's pants off. <laughs> yeah, right. See, that's where I think you're getting to the crux of things. Like this, there's nothing wrong with the subtext of the film whatsoever. It's just a subtext. There's a reason it's called subtext. It's supposed to be <laughs> subtle. It's supposed to right. be you, you know, like we've actually discussed this film on a. A previous Rotten Rantings entitled Gaydar. If you want to listen to that, it's uh, it's number eighty-five. And we had um, it, the the theme was actually uh, proposed to us by uh, two homosexual podcasters that were like, you know, there's actually quite a bit of movies from the eighties and nineties that have these uh, subtle uh, homosexual themes. So, would you like to do a cast on that? And we're like, yeah, sure. 
but this is not one where it's done. Like if this was a political message or if this was a subliminal message, rather than like Coke being on someone's desk at school, and like, okay, this is a subtle ad for Coke. It would be like Coke on their desk. They're wearing a Coke hat, a Coke sweatshirt, and <laughs> always Coca-Cola is playing over the PA system as the teacher is reading Hamlet. Yeah. Right. No, it, it's very, very much in your face. But what I want to ask you guys is because anytime we say that this has, this is a commentary on, or, you know, all those film critic phrases, I like to say, okay, but what, what do you think it's really trying to say here? So, so it's like, yeah, there are these themes, but, but what is the message? Exactly? Well, that's the thing. It seems very muddled. And that's, I mean, maybe the argument that it's not supposed to be in there. Although I think that's a hard argument to make. It's just, I don't think there is a very clear message. Um, the screenwriter in that clip, obviously, he talked about the idea of being scared that you don't understand your own sexuality and that kind of being a form of horror, trying to figure out that part of yourself. And I can understand that, like as being something that seems like an essential part of who you are and not really being able to articulate that or being able to even really understand it for yourself. So I don't know, maybe that's what it's about. I think it's about New Coke or Coke 2, if I'm being honest, because uh, okay. Chris Robo... <laughs> Chris Robo brought up. Are you thinking about that now? Yeah, well, you brought up the Coke thing. And if you'll notice, um, because this film was released in, what, 1985, right? And that was, did I read that right? Or is it 87? 85. Okay, thank you. Yes. And um, and this was the time when we had the, the new Coke formula come out, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it appears in the film because there, there's a lot of Coca-Cola <laughs> product placement. And so I'm just wondering. Um, oh no! No, no. I, I mean, this is weird. <laughs> this seems like a weird uh, correlation here. But it's this like, is sounding a lot like Halloween seasons of the witch to me. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like we're 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 putting forth a new lifestyle here, or a new a new a new ideas for you to to try and to open up to with 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 Coke here. And um, I don't. I don't. So you think this is all just one giant marketing tool? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think it's it's crazy that way, but um, interesting for sure. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. let's talk about the movie for just a minute before our review is over here. All right. um, I I think the one thing that's super interesting to me is I think a lot of the time you expect a sequel to just be a carbon copy of the original, especially in this kind of situation where they have a hit they weren't expecting and they don't really know what they want to do with the sequel. And I think it's interesting here that they actually do change the formula. Um, there's the thing that seems like a cheap way of changing it, which is just making the protagonist a boy instead of a girl. But then they go further to actually change Freddy's modus operandi. And I think that's the biggest problem that fans of the series have with it is that Freddy really doesn't act like Freddy in terms of the way he um, attacks. But I thought it was really cool until I kind of figured out what he was doing. I th at first I thought what was happening was he was um, meeting Jesse in the dream world as usual, but then um, 
kind of making Jesse sleepwalk to these other, but I should say this is my first time viewing the movie um, for this review. Hmm. Um, I thought he was having Jesse kind of sleepwalk to those locations and carry them out, even though for Jesse, he was in his mind still kind of in this dream reality. And so that's what I thought was happening until the pool scene kind of proved me wrong. And that's to me when the film kind of goes downhill from there, I couldn't really stick with it after the pool party scene. Uh, But up until that moment, I was actually liking this as much as the first film in terms of the way, you know, it was working. I thought it was an interesting new twist on kind of what we'd seen in the first film. So is that how you read it as well, Chris Robo? Like, how do you read what is happening like with them? Because what, what are the regular people seeing when they encounter at this attacker? Are they seeing Freddy Krueger or are they seeing Jesse with a glove? It's interesting that you bring that up because we had discussed that too when we were discussing this uh, on Rotten Rantings is what exactly is present in the real world because that's the exact same thought process we had. Are we to believe that Jesse, that, because that's sort of what's going on anyway, is that Freddy sort of represents like an id character, this inner demon character, and that's an avatar for maybe things that are, you you know, he's trying to hide or subvert or feelings or whatever. So when we're seeing this, is it the personification of him being evil or whatever it it is or acting out on these, on these things. And um, that's what we're seeing. Like, like, like a fight club, you know what I mean? Right. But (laughs) I think Josh pretty much puts us to rest when you see, Freddie wiling out at the at this MTV pool party at the end. It's sort of you can't deny that this is supposed to be. And I think it would have the movie would have been a lot more interesting if at the end they just maybe even though I love that pool party scene for I guess it's decadence and just visually I like it. It doesn't work plot wise in the film, but visually I just like the way it looks. Um there are also funny scenes where the guy's like talking to Freddie and he's like, Hey buddy, like Chill out, what do you bro. need, man? Like he's dealing with a drunk guy or something, well, you know? Like, well, yeah, see, you're there, ruining the party, dude. <laughs> there's that. But then at the end, when she, when she kisses him, it's like, I can't imagine her kissing, um, Freddy Krueger or, or even if she thinks that Jesse is in there somewhere, it doesn't make sense to me that she would kiss Freddy Krueger under any circumstances. But it seems to me, see, because I, I actually read this film as the people in the real world see, see Jesse. Wow. I never thought that because at the party, isn't it in the house that he phys- they physically separate? Like he's in, isn't Jesse inside the house? Again, I'm sorry. I just saw this once, but isn't Jesse inside the house and Freddie goes outside? Well, he pops out of him in that Grady scene when right. he goes to Grady's bedroom. Okay. I thought there was a scene for some reason. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm confused. Like I thought there was a scene where chest. the girlfriend is seeing Jesse inside and they're seeing them as two different people. But, but at the, but at the end, um, they, they end up being together again, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe it's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. Like he, there's, we're seeing him as two different people when he, when he becomes Freddie, he's becoming Hyde. And so people do actually see him differently, even if, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Freddie gets stronger throughout, just like Jekyll and Hyde. 
good. So, you know, he's he's the more he allows this to happen, the more of the Hyde he's letting out of himself, wow. the more the audience can see Hyde instead of Jekyll. I like that. So the, the real life, the people in real life see more of the monster. So she has physically. to kiss the monster. She has to beauty and the beast it up so that the monster will go away. Oh my goodness. This film is so profound. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like a Disney cartoon. It is. Or, or if you look at it as Freddy is like the avatar uh, or the personification for his gay uh, feelings and the undertones the only time that he is ridded of that is when he actually kisses the girl because he, there's there's another scene where there's like anxiety about that where they're making out and he's he's like oh i gotta go and he goes to grady's bedroom yeah. and that when i said before that the subtext of this movie is offensive it's like well th that's what i mean it's like if you were going for this progressive uh y y you know like explore your try to bring this, you know, at the time, which was much more alternative lifestyle to light. And then you sort of demonize it at the end by saying, well, you get rid of the monster by kissing a girl and now everything's <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That is problematic. I suppose I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Um, well, what about the, I think for me, you know, even though you make good points, Jason with the school bus and Chris with the chest bursting scene, for me, the effects were actually one of the things I didn't like about this movie compared to the first film. Like, I think those kill scenes of Johnny Depp and, and Tina in the first movie are so iconic and just super memorable and really visually interesting. And I don't feel like we ever got a really cool kill in this film like those. Like, well, I mean, the, you know, the, the glove through the door is cool, but it's not really on camera cool. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really have a lot of great gore in this movie. But there are weird, memorable things. Like, what about, and and I'm convinced that there's a little bit of Garbage Pail Kids influence, those dog things with the people faces that make cougar snarls. Those are terrible. I forgot about those. <laughs> I kind of... Those are so crappy. They are crappy, but on one hand, but on the other hand, they are so bizarre and interesting that I kind of like it. Another bizarre thing is just how quickly... Jesse's girlfriend gets on board with this, starts reading Nancy's diary. They're all, you know, Lisa's like taking this upon herself to become this you know, really intensive research assistant for Jesse and is doing really all the legwork in terms of trying to figure out what's going on with him. And it's just a bizarre kind of storyline, I think, that, you know, because Jesse is new to town, they don't have that backstory that they have in some of the other films where these characters are directly connected to Freddy Krueger. It's just like he lives in this house, which is apparently haunted with by Freddy. I mean, that that's the other weird thing about just the, the entire premise of this film. Why Jesse? Just because he lives in Nancy's house? Is it, isn't it? it really his connection to the Elm Street parents, mm -hmm. you know, and later the Elm Street kids because of the atrocity that happened to him? Why is he picking on Jesse? Why did it go away when Nancy was killed until or moved away, I guess, until Jesse shows up. It's kind of weird because Jesse's got the body. Fred's got the brains. That's true. Right. Right. Um, Quite a bod real quick. <laughs> so Mark Patton, the guy who plays Jesse to yeah. me, he sounds in this movie. If you listen and close your eyes, he sounds exactly like Jesse Eisenberg for one thing. Uh, like their voices are very similar. And then his character is a little bit like um, Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker 
in in A New Hope in episode four. Like it seems like there are influences, not not from Jesse Eisenberg, obviously, because he wasn't a star <laughs> yet. But I'm just saying he really sounds not born a lot yet. Like, yeah. yeah, he really sounds a lot like that. But anyway, that was just a side note. Um okay, so so why do people so we think people hate this film, generally speaking, because it doesn't follow the same lore. But the thing is, I mean, who's to say why can't Freddy take a different approach? Like, why couldn't he he uh, select a pawn? Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, he's a monster. It's not like he has to have the same exact modus operandi, right? I mean, I, well, his motivation's different. I mean, I th- and he doesn't do. You know, we talked so much in the first film about how cool the premise was, this idea that this guy gets you when you fall asleep. And that kind of isn't really, I mean, they kind of try to play that up again with Jesse fighting asleep, but it doesn't really matter in this movie. Like it doesn't play a role in a lot of these kids' deaths or anything. It's just he basically, and by the time he actually bounces out and is like at a barbecue, I don't know. It's just not the same type of film. They're not, they're not capitalizing on the coolest part of the original film, which exactly. is this dream exactly. premise. Well, exactly. But there are smart things, though. I mean, like, for example, when he falls asleep in class this time and he ends up with that huge python or boa constrictor or whatever it is on his shoulder, um, that's actually real. There really is yeah. a snake on him. <laughs> and, and I like... You think I, that's awesome? <laughs> I, I do think that's awesome because, you know, it's kind of the reverse of what you're expecting because you're like, okay, I know what they're doing. He's in a dream now and he's going to have this, like he's going to wake up screaming and it's, you know, and everybody's going to think he's a weirdo, but no, he actually did have a real snake on him. I think that's And they cool. still thought he was a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I like that. Anyway, I- so... I think they compensate for the lack of dreams with the surrealness. And that's actually what I like in this film, like the surreal outside of the notorious parakeet scene, which I think is actually pretty hilarious. Um, it's really, it, it's bad, but it's still, it's weird enough that it's entertaining, right? Like, what am I watching? It's kitschy. Like, this movie feels yes. like if John Waters directed a <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, which, funny enough, Freddy's dead also feels that way as well because the person that directed it was used to be uh, in cahoots with John Waters although that was way more like Warner Brothers than this this like that's what's sort of strange about this movie too is this like Freddie very much plays the the creep you don't have the jokey um game show host Freddie yet it's the creepy Freddie but like Josh mentioned, the vehicle that made Nightmare on Elm Street work, the whole dream, surreal, or am I experiencing real life? As Have we dripped off into a dream? You're not really getting that. And there's really not very many kills in this. Mm-mm. And the kills that you, like the best special effects come from, it's like the whole focus of the film, even the special effects, are, are the possession and transformation and everything else yeah. is just kind of mishmashed and duct taped around it to make it sort of work. Mm-hmm. I do like the, the look of the claw on Jesse's hand. I think that's a cool, every time they do that in the film, it's a cool kind of reveal moment. And I think it looks awesome. I agree. I did get speaking of kills though. I did get really impatient. I think if I'm not mistaken. Like I think the first 
kill comes at like 38 minutes-ish or something. I mean, it feels like a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and it's lame. It's that coach, and he's spanked to death by a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got all the... <laughs> he's spanked to death. The balls, like like the sports mm-hmm. equipment. Death by sports equipment, which is kind of cheesy, but... All right, so let's wrap up this review with our final thoughts and ratings. And I want to start with um, Wolfman Josh. Tell us what you think about this movie. I think it's actually a lot of fun. Um, I kind of think about this, you know, Robo mentioned, you know, uh, Halloween 3 season of The Witch. I was thinking of Friday the 13th Part 5 and New Beginning. This isn't as bad as A New Beginning, and I don't like it quite as much as Season of the Witch, but it's kind of right there in the middle for me of, Oh, okay, they departed from what makes the franchise great, but they still came up with something that's like entertaining because it's so bad. I think actually the acting in this film is far better than in the first film. I, that's like the one element that I would say, other than, you know, we, we loved the cops in the first film. I think Nancy was so bad and her mom was so bad. I think these kid actors are better kid actors than any of the kids in the first film. So that that's a one big thing it has going for it. Um, which maybe bumps it up a bit for me. But overall, this is uh, a big step down from the first film, in my opinion. So I'm going to give this one a five and call it a low-priority rental. Okay, gotcha. And what do you say, Chris Robo? Yeah, I'll just hammer in that point that I made in the beginning, is that this is this is an interesting film in horror movie culture, but it's got that dichotomy where it's like it's interesting and kitschy in that way, but it's not necessarily a good nightmare on Elm street film. And there's a lot of kind of cool things going on with it. I have nostalgia for this as being a kid from the eighties. So seeing those, uh, those MTV videos or VH1 videos, which is very much what the cinematography style reminds me of this, that kind of hits home. But I would also give this a five and just say it's a, run-of-the-mill rental okay all right i agree a a ton with what you said i really liked it and yeah i mean for me i actually think this is kind of a fascinating film but like you guys have mentioned i mean it intrigues me and i do love the 80s type nostalgia i've probably only seen this like once or twice prior to this particular viewing so it's not like i'm super familiar with it either but I, I did find it entertaining, although it does take a long time to get to the first kill, and there aren't a ton of kills in it, generally speaking. But I love when you have a character who's genuinely wrestling and struggling with something, and this particular character um, does that throughout the film. And so for that reason, uh, it, it really intrigues me, and I like it that Freddy's so dark i kind of like his approach in this because honestly and i know this is heresy to people but in in these in this franchise when the dream sequences start i kind of get bored like i'm like oh here we go you know and like i like the real life scenes better than the dream scenes and i know that's insane but anyway this is a six out of ten to me and i call it a rental all right so chris robo we're so grateful you're here I hope that if people have not heard Rotten Rantings yet, I mean, you guys have a ton of episodes. Mm-hmm. I, I had it here. I, what number is going to be your last one, just so we know? <laughs> it actually pains some people to say this, but it's going to be 98 because they just wanted us to even out at an even 100. <laughs> so <laughs> That would but, drive Jason here 
insane. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to do, you know, a couple Halloween shows in the mm-hmm. next two years and you'll get up to 100 that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll continue to do a Halloween show because I think myself and Katie, probably like the majority of your listeners, are absolutely um, enamored with Halloween. So I think that will be a way that we carry that rotten rantings torch i'm not sure if they will be traditional uh like a traditional cast like we've maybe i'll let some of the cat out of the bag we've been discussing our next uh the halloween cast basically being like a riff track or like a a live commentary over a film so you can hear the film as we're playing it nice and you can if you want to watch you can sync up your dvd with the sound that you're hearing and then us basically talking over it so maybe you won't like that i don't know who knows but <laughs> that's that's we're just throwing stuff against the wall and see what sticks yeah if listeners want to hear me really uncomfortable i think i was only on one episode of rotten rantings but we covered the uh, feast franchise mm-hmm. on that episode and that's kind of like a precursor to the wolfman's got nard segment here on this show it's just uh me being uneasy about what i'm covering it's pretty f- <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, Chris, we hope you will come back here and talk about horror whenever you have a hankering. Yeah. Give us a call so we can get you on our show. Because I, I think you, losing you is a big hit to the horror podcasting world. Oh, it's a bummer. Well, I appreciate that. I was going to say um, that's another way, too, that I will continue to indulge my love of horror is to guest on other podcasts when the – when the uh, feeling, when the urge strikes me. So whenever um, we're covering the worst <laughs> film in a franchise. <laughs> yeah. You guys always know to give me a call because Katie does the same damn thing to me. <laughs> She's like, let's just watch these horrific rape showery movies and then talk about them. I'm like, yay. Oh, I, re- I remember your rape shower episode. <laughs> oh my goodness. So rotten rantings. And then if they, if they want to, keep tabs on this casual encounters business mm-hmm. that's coming up. Can they just go to rottenrantings.com right now or is that how to follow it? Yes, for now it's right you can go to rottenrantings.com and we'll be posting the feed through that. Um it, just subscribe our, to the feed and you'll be good, right? Yeah, and our Twitter is C Encounters Pod at C C the the letter C as in Chris Encounters Pod and then our email is casualencounterspod at gmail.com. And I know we already have one of your listeners that's actually going to be helping us out with some ads and experiences on Craigslist. So you guys might actually be uh, wow. pleasantly surprised to hear. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, now I'm doubly intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Well, tell Katie Rots we said hi, brother, and thanks for being on well, Horror Movie Podcast. Will do. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. I don't think it was until after Nightmare 2 came out and we started seeing these huge numbers uh, that they realized that they had a a franchise. I have to just say that over the years and having met lots of fans all over the world, that I think the fan favorite is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. I mean, more of my fans say they like that movie than any of them. Dream Warriors is what the best franchise sequels in any genre should be because it's a film that moves the franchise along, adds to the mythology without taking anything away from what's come before, and also manages, and it is a very hard thing to do, to maintain or reintroduce characters that we already know and care about while balancing them with new characters that we ultimately actually care about just the same. Nightmare on Elm Street went from being cult 
to being an international huge success. I'm the worst. Don't leave home without it. <laughs> when Siskel and Ebert reviewed the film, they got into a heated debate on the show, and uh, Roger Ebert was uh, very adamant that he felt like the film deserved uh, an X rating. Considering this movie is being pitched to teenagers and young, young teenagers. Ones. Don't talk to me about the R rating. They know exactly who they want to see this movie. And fairly. There were some successful Elm Streets after it and some not so successful. But they were all, from that point on, I think more imaginative. And when we started getting into the groove, so to speak, and everybody was wailing with ideas. All the elements that worked in that, I was instrumental in, in trying to feed into the next scripts. And I think we set the, the tone for the other sequels. All right, and at this point in Horror Movie Podcast episode 71, we are very excited because we have some special friends from way back in our dreams. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. It. I'm, guys, still, we're still recording this on the same night when I got up at 3 a.m., which was like 19, 20 hours ago, so I'm kind of mushy right now, but I remember who our guests are, Josh. That's so, a start. Yeah, so. I, I, I know. Apparently, we're special. I'm really excited, but I have a total recall, as it were, and that is the hosts of the Sci-Fi Podcast, which is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, literally. And we want to welcome back Metroid and Station. Hello. Hello. What's up, guys? <laughs> hey, guys. It's Freddy. Oh, boy. He doesn't sound like that. Never mind. Well, <laughs> but, pretend that didn't just happen. But no, you it, tried it, and you committed, and that's what I like. Because, right, right, Josh. I mean, that's Josh is a sort of um, expert on comedians, actually. And and yeah. they, and they have to, <laughs> Josh. Don't they have to commit? If you're a comedian, there's a it's point. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. For and, sure. And that's what you did, Matt. So I love you for that. Well, thank you. I, I commit quite easily, and unfortunately for many, many people that hear my voice too easily, I think I commit to things. That's a good point. So, yeah, the first things first, guys. Are you two Nightmare on Elm Street fans? Would you call yourself Fred Heads? No. Fred Heads. Wow. That's awesome. I, I wouldn't call myself that because it just sounds like something I would make fun of somebody for saying. However, I do love the movies, yes. Really? Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I kind of missed the boat on the movies. I mean, I was still quite young even when the third one came out. So I honestly, I don't even think I saw the first movie until I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. And what did you think of it then? Just curious. Um, I think I remember, well, I think by now everybody knows that I'm famous for my really bad memory. So I'm pretty sure what I thought at the time was, what's all the fuss about? <laughs> Josh, see evidence right there. <laughs> Exhibit A, because in the first, in the previous episode, episode 70, I said, I think the love surrounding this franchise has to do with people's nostalgia of being a kid in the 80s. And then you saw it at what, 19-ish? And, yeah. and, and you're like, yeah. what's the big deal? Yeah. See, I it mean, would have been post scream for her, for what that's <laughs> but, worth. But dude, I I did not like these movies growing up, and I am revisiting or visiting sometimes for the first time these films right now, 
and I'm surprised how much I'm digging these movies. Like they're they and they, even though I didn't see them really in the eighties, I still am having that eighties nostalgia reaction. So that still may play into it. Mm, but okay. um, yes, exhibit. But B. it's like whoa. <laughs> well, it's not as unpleasant yet as I was expecting it to be. I've actually enjoyed myself despite getting up at three a.m. to watch them. So I mean, well, let's see. You guys are on. Uh, this is. Would I, okay, I don't want to spoil it. I guess we're covering one of them. Does everybody know which one we're talking about right now? Because they get yeah. they get considerably worse. <laughs> well, that's that's not entirely true. The one following this one is actually my favorite for really strange reasons, and then mm-hmm. they get really bad. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, see, now that's uh, I think that's significant. I think there's now. No, first of all, let me just ask right now because. Obviously, I'm not the kind of person who pops on Nightmare on Elm Street movies because I don't love the franchise. So it's been a while. Honestly, I haven't seen one of these movies, I don't think, um, since the 80s, at least these 80s ones, right? I mean, it's really? been it's been so long since I've seen them. In some ways, yeah. it's like a first viewing, but it's like, oh, yeah, that's familiar. But the thing is, right now, as we move into A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors from 1987, um, I I had always remembered this karate scene because I'm a martial artist. And when in the 80s, when I saw the karate scene where someone was fighting Freddy with karate, I had always remembered that being in the fourth movie. But then everybody's like, Oh, they fight Freddy in the third movie, but I don't remember seeing any karate stuff in this one. I mean, Freddy does a kip up, and uh, <laughs> which oh, is super did you cool. You say Kit Kat? That sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I said a kip up, and then you got Patricia Arquette doing that sweet move where she runs up the wall and does a backflip off of the wall, which is, by the yeah. way, something I've always wanted to do. She also does like a round off. Yeah. Notice yeah. how the uh, short blonde girl plays a cheerleader in the dreams and the black dude plays a strong man in the dreams. Just saying. <laughs> well, I like the punk rock chick, though. I would be like, why is it nobody paying attention to her? Let's let's hang because out. She's the, because she's the worst actress Because she's the worst actress ever. in the history of actressing ever. I'm so bad. slightly in love with her. I'm just going to say. <laughs> or, I'm, I'm sorry. I fell asleep just now. Were we talking about the nurse? No. <laughs> No, I'm no, sure you were. No, no. <laughs> just one. Who are you no, in no. love with, Josh? The punker. The chick with the mohawk. Oh, I knew you would like her because you're such a she, punk rock man. She looks better on the cover, though. It's no, not. She even looks her. cool in the movie. Uh, you're right, Jason. No, it is the fourth movie with the current. Okay, okay. Yeah, are you? And you guys are talking about Jennifer Rubin, right? Yes. yes, as Taryn. Yeah, as Taryn. Now there is something that she was just in recently. We were just talking about her. Really? And I'm so weirded out right now because I'm like, oh, what could it be? Transmorphers. I need to I, find I, I, I know she's in Roadkill. Um, oh, now, guys, my mind is going to just, I'm going to lose it. So, listeners, if <laughs> if you have heard us talk about Jennifer Rubin in Movie Podcast Weekly or Horror Movie Podcast, please let us know because this is going to drive me nuts. I better just move on. I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> And at this you know, she, oh, sorry. I was going to say she and, and Ruben Stuttered are the only two Rubens that don't sound delicious right now. <laughs> are you, you? Were you talking about the Doors movie at any point? No, no. The Doors. Nor about would I. Tales from the Crypt, the TV series. No, that's a really good idea, but no. no. Dang it. Anyway, sorry, everybody. So 
With that disappointment, let's move into <laughs> our feature review of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. I know who's trying to kill you. He wears a dirty brown hat. He's horribly burned. He has razors on his right hand. Man of my dreams. He's real, isn't he? He's real. Okay, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors came out in 1987, directed by Chuck Russell, written by Wes Craven, and according to IMDb, six others, which is the hallmark for a great film. <laughs> yeah. Stars <laughs> Heather Langenkamp, Robert England, Craig Wasson, Patricia Arquette, Dick Cavett and Zaza Gabor. Don't forget Kincaid. <laughs> well, I don't think it stars Kincaid. It stars well, Ken, Ken Segos as Kincaid. And the best of all, Larry Fishburne, who would grow up to be Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of nice up. that he went by Larry once. So the backstory of this writing is they realized after part two that even though the film had been a financial success, critics and fans hated it. <laughs> and so... Um, they wanted to kind of get back to their roots. So they brought in Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner to write the screenplay. And they they did a version of the screenplay, which everyone loved. <clears throat> but then Frank Darabont, a young Frank Darabont and a young Chuck Russell, got a hold of it. And they, they did their own pitch based on uh, the Craven screenplay. And Craven had gone really dark. And they said, you know what? This movie could be a lot more fun and could utilize, again, that premise from the first film, which is so great of being able to go inside the dreams. And so that's what they wanted to really do uh, with this film. Yeah. Uh, So the movie basically, thanks for that, Josh. That's actually, uh, I had some notes on that, but now I don't need them. So (laughs) right in the basket. So Um, no, that's cool. Uh, Three points. I was pretty far away. The movie (laughs) is about uh, a bunch of loony kids in a loony bin. Uh, Now let me start over there. It's about a bunch of kids that are in a psychiatric ward for mental disorders, primarily for sleep issues uh, because they are having nightmares and they are claiming that these nightmares are manifesting in some uh, some way. Anyway, um, they are not believed by the doctors and our very lovely heroine from the first movie comes back to teach everybody about Mr. Freddy Krueger. I will not say that hilarity ensues. However, funny stuff does happen. <laughs> and some murders. And, and, <laughs> and, and just a couple of weird notes. Well, first of all, why are we all, we're all so slap happy right now in this. And it's, I feel like we have adopted the tone that this franchise takes, which I like. <laughs> That's a good point. But I'm um, just happy to be on the show again. <laughs> we're happy you're here. But I, I think we should note a couple of things. It's interesting that Nancy... Heather Langenkamp did not appear at all in the second film, which we just discussed previously, but her diary was in the second film and she's back for this film. And the events of the second film took place five years after the events of the first film, whereas this takes place just one year later. In other words, six years after the first film. Or (laughs) one year later after the second film. 
Okay, so I, I just wanted to put that out there in case people are drawing a timeline right now. She kind of bounces around, though. She's in three different installments. Um, and, and while one of them is the postmodern revisit, uh, it's not like she was a staple beyond the first one and the third one, you know. And she's only in the third one, I think, to kind of recapture some of what made the first one so successful. Uh, this movie, and it really does feel like it's kind of a close to a trilogy in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, very scream three esque in some ways too. And totally. I was even rewatching it. I'm like, it still feels like that. You know, it doesn't feel like anything's coming up. Doesn't feel like anything needs to come up. The introduction or introduction, <laughs> <Wow. Introduciary. laughs> the introduction rather of, uh, the nun character. I don't know if we're spoiling anything, so I don't necessarily want to say it. You Although on the horror it. movie podcast, you typically spoil stuff. Oh, oh, franchise reviews. Yes, that's right. On franchise reviews. Yeah, so the spoilers are out there. People know, so you can go ahead and talk about Freddy's mom. Okay, well, Freddy's mom, cat out of the bag. Um, Yeah, so with all that, it kind of feels like they're setting it up to close the the entire thing, which I love. And had they closed it, it may have gone on to be a really excellent trilogy. Um, The fourth one happens to be my favorite for really weird reasons. But there's always a really weird reason. There's always a weird reason. I don't have normal reasons. <laughs> because Jeff Dalzen. No. no okay, actually, yeah. I'll mention that now. Uh, Josh actually knows him. A kid we went to school with, Jeff Dalzen. A, a good is it kid. really Jeff Dalzen? Yeah. A friend of mine that I grew up with. I was with, just picking some random name that I've heard over the years. It was really him. One of my closest friends growing up, um, he and I watched Dream Warriors lots and lots and lots because his brother had a bootleg VHS copy. And uh, it was great. And then we saw the fourth one and we watched the lat was the last movie I watched them before he died. So uh, the fourth movie has kind of interesting sentimental value to me, um, but it's really not a very good movie and they really go overboard at the camp. So in this one, it's still kind of scary, right? Like the giant Freddy snake thing and everything. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. um, they, yeah, they maintain yeah. some of the fear from the first two, particularly the first one, which was legitimately a scary movie and bringing back uh, Langenkamp, Lungengrun. Um, I never know how to say her name. Langelier. Langelier. I call um, her Nancy. <laughs> bringing back Nancy really does make it feel like they are trying to say something which is uh, doesn't end up happening, which is this movie's done or th- this franchise is done. So what were we talking about? Well, thank you. I mean, I actually like the things you said right there because um, just to chime in on what you said, I, I think this has some of the better... Uh, Freddy horror kill imagery in the whole franchise actually like like I like even though it's like the TV thing is weird right but the the aftermath shot of just the body hanging from the TV horrifying oh yeah that is a that is a really unsettling image and it yucky. it's powerful and it really affected me yes yucky station i believe that is the technical term for it the technical term yucky and and then the hyper the hypodermic needles on the fingertips into the drug addict i mean there's something so insulting and awful about that kill some people might think it's ridiculous because it is fantastical and that usually bothers me but the fact that this, it was this drug addict who's trying to stay clean, and then he, he did her in with 10 hypodermic needles. It was like insult to injury. And then the kid who's the wizard, <laughs> which, which the wizard thing is quite dumb, but the way he is dispatched and taken out, it is a very disturbing um, image because 
he's holding him up in the air and he's shorter or, or presumably or he appears to be and it just looks like Freddy's holding up this kid and taking him out right in front of you like a like a smaller child oh, and, yeah. and so, so that kind of um I found that rattling and then the, the snake the giant Freddy snake thing is also very disturbing so I think this has some great imagery but um how do you feel about it station well um Sort of to speak to what Josh was saying earlier about the '80s nostalgia, I can appreciate that now. Like I, I watched this one today and was pretty entertained. So, you know, as far as this franchise having a place in my heart, it's probably not going to because I didn't watch it in its heyday. But I can watch it now and and appreciate sort of the '80s awesomeness. And like I've said on other shows, I appreciate practical effects far more than CGI. So even though they, you know, these weren't perfect, there were times where Matt and I looked at each other and we were like, "Whoa, that was pretty sweet." Yeah. And yeah. And so I I really got a kick out of it. Um, of course, it wasn't scary to me at all. Um, there were there were things like you mentioned that uh, were disturbing and kind of like, "Whoa, that was yucky." Um, I particularly enjoyed the little, like the hypodermic, hypo, hypodermic needle, um, uh, like the scars or the, or whatever on her arms that blinked or, or like, like yes. eyeballs or something. That was awesome. Yes. Um, what did a, I answer your question? What, what about, the question? yeah, well, yeah. What about the kid, the kids in the chest? What did you think of that? Imagery? So it was kind of awesome. It was <laughs> It was really awesome with the exception of like just that it, you know, it's older effects, practical effects. It wasn't perfect. Yeah. And that it's kids in a man's chest. Well, you yeah. see their faces come out. That's it's like the worst <laughs> kind of thing to see yeah. on, a, on a screen. That's the thing. Like all of, chest. The, yeah, all yeah, of these little things chest. are just such amazing, fantastical ideas. And I, I love that. Like rooms being torn apart. Um, you know, the Freddy snake that eats Patricia Arquette. Um, the mirrors, the mirrors. Oh, yeah, the mirrors. Awesome. That was actually super awesome when they were being pulled in. And, you know, the, the, I don't even know how it's to like describe it. like a shimmery it. quality. The, yeah, like the, their face, their bodies change as they get pulled into the mirror. Almost, it all, for a second, I thought they were being pulled into paintings. But I guess they were just mirrors. Um, but, right. yeah, just some of those little random things. Like, who would have ever dreamed up putting faces that, like, screamed on on somebody's chest or um, needle uh, scars or whatever they were that like, you know, blinked like eyes people that would have or They're psychedelic. Yeah. Super psychedelic. And yeah. I just, that I really got a kick out of. Nice. What do you say? Wolfman? Uh, for me, I realizing that as I watch more and more of these films, I have very little interest in Freddy Krueger himself. And I think that is the aspect that's always kind of turned me off to these films. I don't like his one-liners. I don't like his look is just yucky. And to, this is really where the one-liners station. St Sorry, this is where the one-liners start, right? I mean, wouldn't you yeah. say this is it where you get oh, the Oh yeah. But like the like his chest thing, like I'm like, eh, this is not the kind of horror I'm into. What I love about these movies are the premises. And so I love the first one the most so far. I actually like I mentioned as I understood the second one up until the party, I loved that as a premise. And this one to me is other you know other than the first this is the best because i like this idea of you know i'm a fan of movies like the lost boys and goonies and this is like 
kids on an adventure mission. Like, I love the idea that they're suiting up for battle and they're going to go into their dreams to kick butt. And like that to me is super exciting, even though I don't care so much for the chest or the snake or the tongue lashing. I do like um, just the the basic premise of this is super awesome to me. But Josh, here, just a question, because you seem to be more of an open minded man than I am typically. And I just wonder, I mean, since we are stuck in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, <laughs> So, I'm just kidding. I, I don't say that with as much disdain as it sounds. But since we are watching it, I mean, don't, isn't there some point at which you kind of go with it? Because, like, to me, in this yeah, film totally. is where I embrace, like, okay, well, Freddy's got powers, and he uses these people's weaknesses and incorporates it into the fantastical nature of the nightmare they're experiencing. I'm just realizing Freddy is what keeps me from owning these movies, because I just am so uninterested in his character. But yeah, well, I, I John, love. It's interesting you say that. Yeah, um, I can't stand Freddy, so mm. I love these movies, and I love them because uh, the idea that we can't even sleep safely is yes. is genius. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. among the greatest uh, concepts in in horror movies of all time. Yep. Um, and really, Wes Craven was was brilliant when he came up with that. Um, the difficulty for me is that they let that wear thin. Like with this movie, there's very little warrior in the dream warriors, right? There's very, very little, um, very little, really anything to draw me into the movie from like a filmmaking perspective. Like, I don't feel like the themes are really heavy. I don't feel like there's reason enough to root for these kids other than they just need sleep and all children need sleep to grow properly and everything else. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, really it's like, I don't feel like we're getting out of this. What could come from it? The Freddy Krueger characters, he's very one note. Like it's not that interesting. Very one note. This world, even though I, again, I mentioned, I like it. It's very fantastical. Like it's very much a fantasy type of setting. You know, it feels more like, something you get in a labyrinth or a dark yeah. crystal or like, you know, it's got these Harry or Ray Harryhausen kind of effects with Freddy's yeah, skeleton. The skeleton. Definitely. It feels like a fantasy type of film in a lot of ways. But I, I just like that basic idea of Nancy teaching these kids to control their dreams. That is so awesome to me. And yeah. I, <clears throat> I'm going to sound like a crazy person here. So just, be prepare yourselves for this. We're used to it. <clears throat> but I, I'm someone who I'm like fascinated with this idea of controlling my dreams. And I try to do it all the time. Ever since I saw the movie, um, waking life, the Richard Linklater film, I've mm-hmm. like actively tried to control my dreams. And when I go to sleep, I, I, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but I try to think of like scary situations to put myself in so that I can have like a, a mystery or detective or horror movie experience while I'm sleeping. Like I intentionally, try to have nightmares when I go to sleep. That's funny. And I think of nurses. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically nurses with tongues. Hot nurses or scary nurses? <laughs> just nurses. <laughs> Ma- male nurses, usually. But anyway, just like I talked about in the first episode, I love that Foo Fighters Everlong video, and I just love that to me, this is that. Like, I love the idea of just be like, Boom, I'm going into my dream. I'm going to fight. And I just, that sounds exciting to me. In other words, Josh is saying that Inception is his favorite movie. All time. <laughs> it, I, it actually is uh, not my favorite movie, but I, that premise to me is. It's genius. I back you, Josh. No, because here's the thing. 
it, I actually, I got to a point where um, I probably was able to realize I was in a dream. Because if I'm in a dream and I realize it, then I can take over and control it. And I've yes. successfully done that like maybe three or four times in my life. Yeah. And and what do I squander it on? Exactly what you'd imagine. Twinkies. <laughs> no. <laughs> Twinkies and nurses. Yes, combined. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I I go flying. I fly in my dreams because I love it. But but um, that's very special. Speaking of flying, um, <laughs> this is funny because this chimes back in with what Matroid was saying. I think Freddie has what I would call a storm shadow problem, but I think maybe the rest of the world would call it the Superman problem. I'm gonna overshare, so everybody get ready. Josh got to show you that he was crazy. I'm going to show you that I'm crazy too. We really need a music Ooh, next, cue for Jason oversharing on the podcast. <laughs> no, well, this isn't heavy. It's that time again when Jason <laughs> overshares. Yeah. It's time for the Jason overshare. This isn't as heavy as previous oversharing. I'm a huge fan of G.I. Joe, and I think maybe one of the favorite aspects of my life was playing with G.I. Joe action figures from the early 80s. Sorry, that's who I am. So, Anyway, my favorite action figure was Storm Shadow, which was the Cobra Ninja. <laughs> and the thing is, he was so good because I'm into martial arts that anybody that matched up against Storm Shadow in my battles would lose against Storm Shadow. Nobody could beat him. But quickly, I became very bored with this because Storm Shadow always won. And that's what I call the Superman problem. Superman is so incredible a character that unless you have kryptonite, there is no beating him and no stopping him. And I think that is why Freddy doesn't really interest us that much because he is in this world with no parameters, the dream world, and therefore he is unstoppable and unbeatable, and it's kind of not interesting. Well, the, to me, what's interesting is trying to figure out how to fight him, how to, and I think that was what was cool about the first film, and I think that's what's coolest about this film is... How am I going to fight this threat? It's such it's such an impossible feat. You know, how am I going to figure out how to do it? And when when they are successful in giving the kids plausible ways, even if they eventually fail, plausible ways they're going to attempt to fight him, I think that's exciting. There's a good point in there though, Jason. Um you know, you get the same thing with Michael Myers, you get the same thing with Jason. Um these things come up because we have iconic killers that last from from movie to movie to movie. Uh, and, and every single time it feels like we kill them. And in almost every single one of theirs, there is a final movie that is not the final movie. And uh, the issue that we end up with is getting this risk of, well, how on earth am I supposed to be worried when I know they can't be killed? What the the, the excuse I think Nightmare has is that Dreams have an unlimited capability. You know, in your dreams, you try to fly. Um, in mine, I just try to escape all the things that are looking at me because I have really, really terrifying dreams. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in all honesty, I think they don't capture, and, and I don't know, maybe it's from a, from a budget or a budgetary sense. Maybe it's because they need to keep these movies as marketable as possible, and therefore they can't go all out for people um, because they really would, I think, narrow their uh, target audience if they were to go too in-depth or too crazy. But there is nothing that can't happen in a dream. So even though his world is boundless, those same rules apply for everyone inside the dream. He has power there, but they are inside the dream fighting him, which means that they also have power because we 
we are rooting for them. So we give them power as those people rooting for them as the primary characters. So for me, the reason it remains interesting in that regard is because theoretically there's nothing they couldn't do. So yeah, he can turn into a snake. He can pull them into mirrors. He can, you know, send a a spiked wheelchair down there. He can uh, turn somebody into a puppet. And by the way, those practicals on the guy's feet were amazing. Um, Yeah. But but they theoretically, they can do anything too, which is why this, this promise of dream warriors gets me so excited because I'm thinking, man, with my imagination, Freddy doesn't stand a chance. So if I'm a dream warrior, I win, period. But and I know it's not that easy. Like your Green Lantern fighting. Oh, no, no, no. Stick with Marvel. <laughs> I'm just saying you <laughs> would be like Green Lantern. You could create like a giant machine gun that would like tear him in half. Yeah, but five yeah. seconds later, he would counter with whatever move and kill you, which is what's so frustrating about this movie sure. is they're really not, as you said, someone, I think it was Matt that said, they're really not warriors because it's a very short-lived battle and that's kind of frustrating. It, I agree with you there fully. Yeah, it, I thought that was ridiculous. A, there was not enough warrioring. Like, really, it, the showdown is there's one time. I was I was hoping that there was going to be multiple showdowns, multiple nights or multiple, m- multiple different dream times. But it was really just the one, and they were all picked off like, what's her butt? Punk rock didn't do squat. Yeah. She opened up her knives there and then, you. bam. She, she stole my heart. Well, and obviously isn't that, that enough? And yeah, she sliced him. She got a slice in. You'll still Josh's heart. Which, by the way, really fast, was that Wes Craven as like the hobo walking up the alley? Hmm, maybe so. I think it was. Yeah. It, it, now that you mention it. Because he, he was kind of the original Stan Lee in that he would kind of pop up in his movies, right? <laughs> yeah. I think Alfred Hitchcock was the original Stanley, but yes. Alfred Hitchcock was the original Pillsbury Doughboy. I think Alfred Hitchcock was the original (laughs) Alfred Hitchcock. That's true. But only Wes Craven was the original. Never mind. (laughs) Wes Craven was certainly the original Wes Craven. That I know for a fact. Wikipedia. There you go. Wikipedia. Anyway. um, Yeah, so that was disappointing. And they were, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's almost pointless. And it took somebody in reality to you know, supposedly, quote unquote, defeat, which we know doesn't really happen because there's 17 more movies, Freddy. <laughs> so it doesn't even actually happen in the in the dream world with, well, I guess with the exception of Nancy stabbing him with his own glove, but we, I guess we don't know ultimately what that would have done to him had what's yeah. his butt not consecrated his bones. Mm. But yeah, I agree. It's the, the Superman problem. It, and that's part of what makes these movies so uninteresting, I think, to me, is that you kind of look at it like there's there's no point. There's that no one really ever has a shot, and they're just going to keep making the movies, and it's the same guy. And yeah, he can do whatever he wants, and everyone's helpless. Wow, that's interesting. Maybe this is where the sports fan in me kind of justifies it. So I'm a huge, huge NBA fan, even though I realize there's a bunch of ridiculousness that goes on. Um, the Utah Jazz are my favorite sports team, period. And I will defend them to my death. But I know every single year they have a slim chance to none at winning the whole thing. Their two best opportunities were defeated by some guy with the initials MJ. And they probably <laughs> they, they probably will never win it, honestly. Michael Jackson. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> it was actually Mich- Michelle Mick Jackman. McJagger, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Jerks are derailing me. Um, so <laughs> this is actually, I, I think this works for me. Um, and maybe this will work for other apologists out there. But 
So I know they're probably never going to win. And I accept that. And every year I have the same amount of hope. It's foolish. It's uh, juvenile. It may even be pedestrian in some sense where it's just so basic. And yet there is that hope that maybe Freddy's done this time, even though I've seen the movie. You know, it's it's the hope that there is some kind of power that some someone in the dream will take with them. In this movie, it's, you know, Patricia Arquette's character. I'm thinking somehow she is going to be more than just someone that links them together or someone that is more uh, special than just acrobatic. So even though I've seen it, I don't know how many times, even though I know every time Freddy's going to win, there is that hope that maybe it won't be the case because in a dream world, there is the possibility, like in sports, there is the possibility of the underdog. So I get what you're saying, but I think for me, it's too easy to allow the movie to just be a movie and really enjoy it. So it's one of the times, one of the few times probably where I can turn off my mind completely and just enjoy what I'm watching Mm. with other movies, even movies I I love half the time. I find myself saying, I wish I didn't care so much about what's happening right now because it bothers me, (laughs) you know, with Star Wars movies, I'm very much that way. Yeah. But with these movies and a few others, some of the the Halloween movies, for example, especially like H2O, which is my favorite of them, you know, I watch them and I think it doesn't matter to me. And I have the hope that no matter what, even though I know it's going to happen, maybe this time they'll win for what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I tell you something. I will admire, though, Matt Troy and everybody else on the podcast. Uh, I, I like how, especially in this one, we get the sense that Freddy can really tap into our weaknesses. Now, in some, let's see, how can I approach this? In some religious faiths and faiths that believe in, like, a devil or a Satan, it's like he knows your weaknesses and he preys upon those and he, and he tries to get you with your weaknesses. And I think it's cool that Freddy, who's this demonic type of character, ends up um, being privy to these these kids and their weaknesses and he uses those against them i think that's a pretty strong under you know aspect to his monsterhood yeah oh it, yeah it definitely yeah. begins more with this one i think mm-hmm. this one sets that up as kind of a uh what i think people fail to realize is that most of the franchise really wasn't uh, up until this point wasn't like this movie and this kind of sets the tone for the the majority of the franchise so when people think freddy krueger they think things that we really are introduced to with this movie even though originally that's not necessarily how freddy krueger was so i like that you bring that up because i think that makes the mythology more interesting it makes it more uh frightening and it certainly makes robert england's character freddy krueger uh more of a bad guy right because he's not just killing, but he's he's killing with a very devious intent. So he's trying to hurt us really badly first and then kill. Yeah. And so I think it makes him a far more frightening and interesting bad guy. The problem is it's played by Robert England, who's great as maybe an actor in some respects, but um, he's just not scary. Well, the, the kills are deeply personal, I would yeah. say. They're personalized yeah. for the characters. But, but um, Wolfman Josh... What do, what do you have to say about this stuff? Um, I mean, I think everyone <laughs> makes good points. I, 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 I really like this movie and I, this is not something I anticipated when we were going to be reviewing these films is that I would like any of them. And so far I kind of like all of them 
and I'm surprised and shocked and almost dismayed by this, but, um, but I'm glad it's, <laughs> it's, a uh, it's, you know, it's been an interesting self-examination process for me. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a good movie. And I, and I, yeah, I wish there was more battling. Those are all things I think that would make the film better. Um, I'm not as interested in the fantasy world as presented, but I can totally appreciate it in an eighties nostalgia sort of way. So I'm really enjoying what I have here and uh, especially compared to what I thought I was getting myself into. I mean, this is the movie that I saw the most as a kid of Mm -hmm. any of them. Four is the one when I first really became aware of Freddy completely as a kid when Freddy was like on the forefront of everything. It was uh, part four. I remember seeing the trailer. I remember the the glove in the sand and that freaking the crap out of me in the the classroom. But... um, but three is the one that I ended up kind of like watching on sleepovers and stuff. And so I don't know. I do have fond memories of this one. I'm with you. Uh, another interesting part about this one, which is something that we talked about with Chris Robo in the previous review, is I think that this is the... F- Tell me if this is wrong, but it seems to me that this is the first Nightmare on Elm Street film where they explicitly say in the movie, they come out and say, if you die in the dream it's for real or that concept of people worrying about dying in their dreams. Cause that is one of those urban legend kind of things. It's like, if you die while you're dreaming, then you die in real life, you know? <laughs> right. And, and it's like, they, it's, I like how in this film they kind of like that resonates a little bit and they're like, Hey, by the way, this thing that everybody's worried about, you know, that that's something that we do in this movie. Yeah. I also think that, um, the uh, particularly in this movie, because I don't I can't remember how the first one goes. And then I can't remember which other uh, movies I've seen in the series. But I it really struck me. One of the themes in this was the idea that these teens are all locked up because they're not believed. They're being pigeonholed as something that they're not or maybe something that they were but no longer are or are trying to overcome. But they're being told like, oh, you're this way. You're crazy. You're suicidal. And they're not being believed And that's another really horrifying concept to me and, you know, akin to real life that, you know, that a lot of people experience things like that every day. And that was one of the things that really jumped out to me. Like, oh, the scariest part of this movie is how these kids are dealing with something that nobody believes. Yeah. Yeah. When you were on the Scream 2 episode, we kind of talked about how that's Sydney's lot in life and how um, Wes Craven had kind of seen Nancy as that character as well. And I think it's probably common in horror movies that people don't believe the person that anything is going on. But these kids, like you say, it's taken to a really extreme degree because they are kind of under lock and key. And so their situation gets so much more. um, It's such a more, such a difficult position for them to be in. It's very dire. Yeah. They're locked in a mental institution, you know, and they're, you know, it's one thing, I guess, yeah, you're right, that it's a common theme in horror movies. But for this, to me, it, it's just more, It's it branches more into reality that just the idea that they're struggling with something and other people don't understand or don't believe or they're trying to tell them, oh, no, this is your problem. This is your problem. And they're going, no, it's really not. <laughs> that part is like, that's something that scares me personally. So that really struck me. I'm, I'm with you. I agree with that. And I think that's a, a great point because... Yeah, in this film, it is alarming because you have these people are who are 
like in many horror movies, the adults, you know, the educated grown-ups, like these yeah, doctors, the doctors who yeah. are supposed to be those that we can trust, just like in zombie movies, we're supposed to be able to trust the government and so forth to protect mm-hmm. us. And ironically, they are sealing our doom in this. Yes. Yeah. Did you guys happen to catch the um, Horton Hears a Who reference in this? I think there's a riff on Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> I typically do catch Horton references in movies, but this one uh, was elusive and I did not. Okay, get this. uh, Okay, prepare to have your minds blown. Okay. I'm so ready. Okay. So in the mirror sequence, when um, Freddy's in the mirrors, it is the kid who is mute. His dream power is screaming and that is uh, Joey and they call him. His name is Joey, the character, right? And he screams, and it's his scream that is powerful enough to break the mirrors, and that kind of um, saves them, right? Well, in Horton Hears a Who, the the little shirker named Jojo is the kid who does the yop at the end, and it is his scream that is strong enough (laughs) and loud enough for, um, you know, all the people in Horton's world to hear that there is someone on the spec, Nice. Wow. I didn't pick up on that. So I wondered if like if that was just a coincidence or there's a little bit of a nod to Dr. Seuss or Horton Hears a Who. I figured it was the huh. character Black Bolt from Marvel because when he opens his mouth like that, all hell breaks loose. He's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. But and you lost clearly. me at Sporks, Hot Yops, and Specs. <laughs> I guess I don't know the Horton story. Uh, Liz wasn't raised on Horton or... I was raised on Superman 2 every day. Okay. Well, Zod. Just think General Zod then. Okay. Zod. <laughs> then I'm locked in. Okay. I got good. It. <laughs> I don't see the connection. Well, <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> oh, they, they're both played by Terrence Stamp. Got it. These, these podcasts are, this is a weird episode tonight, Josh. I, I have to say, yeah. but I like it. I, okay. How about this, guys? How about the lack of understanding of how conception works in this movie because when we hear the what I call a satellite story about how Freddie is conceived and how his his poor mother as a young girl is locked inside this um, insane asylum with a bunch of maniacs over a weekend like a holiday weekend or over the holidays that that's a horrifying tale by uh, the way yeah but the thing that kind of ruins it is when the line comes out and they say that Freddy is the bastard son of a hundred maniacs and it's like um probably no. just one maniac. <laughs> I don't I don't think they're perhaps the paternity I, test is in order. I don't think they're referring to one hundred <laughs> sperms making one man. That would indeed make him very powerful. Right. right. Well, explain why this looks so weird though. Yes it would. All those sperms. One hundred <laughs> sperms. The Joshua Legary story. Um no, honestly, I, I think I me. I don't know. You seem like a hundred sperms kind of guy. <laughs> to make this episode weirder, a hundred thousand, right, Josh? Still, like a still, still a little short there. <laughs> That's so what she I, said. I actually love the line, Jason. I know it's crazy, but um, for me, it's it's the implication that uh, the act carried over into, or the acts plural carried over into the creation of a human being. It's almost like, uh, I mean, in a different way, if you were to think the survivor of maybe uh, Holocaust would have a child that would be 
that, that may have some kind of difficulties in, in some kind of theoretical way. Not that that's how life works. It's but the I do hate like, and the rage. Yeah, it's interesting to me. Such an act. As my four-year-old Jason would tell you, um, this is not figurative, or it is figurative rather. It's not literal. So they're not saying that he's no, literally I, I know. the bastard son of hundred million. Guys, guys, teaching I, him. Literally. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just, I'm just messing a little bit. But no, honestly, I, I love that story because I think it's one of the mo- the more horrifying things. It reminds me. It resonates with me the same as the satellite story in Gremlins about why she <laughs> hates Santa Claus. I think that story is so haunting, and this is another story that takes place over the holidays that's very haunting as well. I think this, oh. one, this, this one belongs way more, though. So Freddy yeah, this, is actually a Christmas movie. <laughs> Freddy's and this Christmas. connects way more to the story, as Matt was saying. Yeah. yeah. However, I do right. think that it probably is the scariest part of the movie. Between that and, and Station's comments about nobody believing the kids, I think the two of those elements really do give enough to say that this is a horror movie. And and your comments on Josh's spermatozoa. Like, that was yes. weird. <laughs> Thank you for well. being clinical. Frightening. <laughs> Dr. Jason. No, I totally agree Dr. with J. that, though. It, it, with your comment about it being weird, Dr. J. But, you know, I actually had a real gangster in real life call me J Flex one time. So you all may call me that as well. J Flex. Seriously? With two X's. No lie. I was a real gangster. Not even joking. He said, you need a gangster name. I'm like, please, I lo- I'd love, i love to have one, actually. And <laughs> gangster? Wait, someone looked at like, you and like said, you need a gangster name? <laughs> yeah, I worked at this place. It was kind of in a I, I bad... I want to know, yeah. I want to know, sorry. I want to know the circumstance. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's have a someone, story. Here's someone looking at Mr. you and Mr. saying, Flex, you need a gangster name. This is the true story. Okay, I was, I was working at um, a telemarketing job, which was awesome. Gangster! <laughs> in a bad part of town. And um, there were uh, lots of different uh, types of individuals who worked there. And um, there were certain individuals who were affiliated with um, extracurricular activities that were illegal <laughs> and violent sometimes as well. And I knew this for a fact. So they were they were like legit gangsters. Anyways, uh, this one, one of these characters said to me when we were in the break room, I went in to get a candy bar, of course, like I'm always... As doing. all gangsters enjoy. <laughs> well, he, he <laughs> boy was going to get a Twix, son. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was doing. He was just in there, and he and he's like, um, and he liked me for whatever reason. Yeah, you better recognize. So anyway, he's like, uh, you need a gangster name. He he said it quite out of the blue, Josh. Just like, um, you, just like I suggested. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'd I'd love to have one. I'm like, please give me one. So he gave me an actual gangster name, and it's J Flex, two X's. So, wait, are are we still on how we control our dreams? Because this is fascinating. No, this is not a dream. (laughs) (laughs) This really happened. So I'm legit. Are you incredibly fit? I am just too legit to quit. I am not incredibly fit. Uh, At that point, I was much more fit. Now so I'm, the flex was to warrant two X's. You have to be tremendously fit. Well, I'll get there. I'm getting back there again one of these days, right, Josh? <laughs> Without the Twinkies, well, probably so. <laughs> more nurse, less Twinkies. Tell me about the Twinkie. Well, yeah, more nurse. <laughs> Anyways, where were we? <laughs> 
So where are we in this? Who oh, knows? This I is think it's about time to wrap it up. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is what happens when you invite us. On I was going to say maybe you should never invite us back. No, no, no. I love you guys. And um, it was derailed long before <laughs> any of us even got on this call. So <laughs> that's true. I I actually ruined it. This reminds me one more story. Sorry, everybody. No, that's cool. I'll we bring some stories. levity too. We'll get there. Matt loves to tell stories. I used to do these serious birthday parties because if, if people know me at all i'm pretty obsessed with my birthday and i used to do these hardcore crazy he does those. huge parties and i'm a musician and i at one point i was recording comedy albums for these parties well unfortunately i was always down to the wire as i am now still and the night before this big all-nighter type party i would spend all night preparing the final touches and so forth and so then by the time the party came i just crashed and was super lame and it was very anticlimactic and awful and that is exactly what has happened with tonight's episode because I, <laughs> because because i got up at 3 a.m to to make sure i got to revisit these two movies and be ready and it actually did me more damage than if i had gone from memory <laughs> so Aww. Sorry to everybody out there. <laughs> plan, plan, plan. Well, the fact, the fact that you said I used to, I'm a musician and I used to throw these awesome parties and, Heck yeah. and then I'm thinking of Mr. Flex and everything else. And all of a sudden I'm creating this very real person in my head. I that is probably person. not exactly how you are, but I so hope you are exactly how this is in my head. Cause I want to invite this person to every single gathering ever. Brother, sounds like a blast. I'll be there. Josh invited me to his party recently and I came and I was pretty fun at that one. Right, Josh? Oh, were you there? We had, we were out of town. Oh, Dang it. we were bummed to miss it. I was awfully disappointed not to see you guys, but anyways. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> when it comes time for, for the final thoughts, I'll give a little bit of, of a serious story that may help bring some of my uh, loca, loco in the cabeza. I think that's French. Uh <laughs> Make don't it a day in the esta. Yeah. <laughs> don't day in the esta, baby. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that is. Uh, stuff that I say. All right. All right. So, well, let's do that then. Let's wrap up this uh, particular review of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And uh, Matt, Troy, give us your final thoughts and ratings on this. Okay. And, well, and will- your is your corresponding story to come now or does it come during your plugs? No, no. It'll come right now. Okay. Bring so, it. Uh, true story, uh, and I won't get into too many of the details because they aren't all that important and I don't like to revisit it all that much, but uh, when I was 17, I was put into a facility similar to the one in the movies. Um, I was not there for drugs, but I was there for uh, reasons that uh, parents may put their troubled kid into a facility. It Suspicion was, of drugs. Yeah, oh, <laughs> most certainly. Um, you were a musician, I mean... <laughs> That's all you gotta say. You were he had purple true. hair, so therefore he has purple hair. He I'm was pretty troubled. sure he's stealing. <laughs> um, it was it was among the the most most horrific and worst experiences of my life, to say the least. Uh, and and really, no one is treated well. At least, no one was treated well in the facility I was at. Um, no one is believed. You know, it, it is the exact opposite of what this country is supposed to be, where it's like you know uh, innocent until proven guilty. 
it was the exact opposite. Everybody was most definitely guilty of every horrible atrocity that a teenager could be a part of. And they were unforgiving. They were, uh, it was, it was a truly special time in my life because it taught me exactly about how the world can actually be. So this movie, it's easy for me to watch it from a different perspective and to say, uh, there is some realism in some of the way it's portrayed. Um, and above all else, that is enough for people who have experienced anything similar, who have had family maybe in some situations like that. Uh, it, it does lend credibility and horror to the movie. For me, watching movies like that can be too much. There are times where I can't watch movies like this. So um, that makes the movie that much better to me. I realize that that's such a subjective um, way to look at it, that I can't rate the movie based on that for everybody. That that doesn't work. That's not right. But I will say that there are some brilliant technical achievements. I think that the practicals are quite good, especially considering the, the budget they probably had. Um, for example, when, when the room is being torn apart, when Patricia, Patricia Arquette is in there is really cool. When uh, Snake Freddy comes back and you see his face, that is really good. Um, it, it's, I think it's fantastic for, in that way. Um, and, and I think there's enough of a story. And like Josh was saying earlier, like some of the premise is so enthralling and the ideas that they, they promise are great. But ultimately, the delivery is uh, – there's a lot left to be desired. So I would say my personal recommendation uh, for myself is like an 8. But as far as everybody else goes, it's probably like a 5.5. It's definitely a good rental for a fun night with people. I think this is a movie that begs to be watched with friends. And it's a good Halloween movie too to watch in the month of October. So 5.5 uh, and it's a rental. Okay, thank you. That's excellent. What about you, Wolfman Josh? What do you say? I really liked this movie against all odds. And yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. And so I think this is, you know, if we look back at some of these other franchises we've covered with Friday the 13th and uh, Halloween, this is kind of one of the standouts from this franchise. I think it's, you know, it's not the classic that the first one was, but it's really good as an entry. I'm going to give this N. I've been thinking about this all night. I'm going to give this N. Eight. I'm going to say eight. <laughs> I was debating going lower, but I'm just going to be brave and say eight. And I'm going to say buy it. I didn't think I would be saying these types of things wow. about a Freddy Krueger movie at any <laughs> point, but um, it's happening with people. This is happening right now. <laughs> cool. Josh, seriously, one of my favorite things about you in the world is how seriously you take your ratings and you, you, you wrestle with the numbers and um i love that because i take it seriously like that too and when i hear you like straining to like <laughs> say an eight i'm like yeah yeah i feel that so i really admire that well done sir okay thank you station what say you uh well as i said before uh the nightmare on elm street films are not exactly in my preferred situation um, but it was a lot of fun, the eighties nostalgia, the cool practical effects. Um, but you know, the story's kind of weird and the actors are kind of weird and it's all kind of weird. Um, I agree with Matt when he said that it's definitely a movie to watch with your friends. 
Uh, definitely watch it when you've got nothing better to do. Um, and I would give it a four and a stream. Stream it. Okay. Stream it. Rent is, it. Whatever. Is, um, does anybody know off the top of your head, is this currently streaming on Netflix in the U.S. right it's now? It's not. No. It is the, on the Amazon Prime for a two ninety nine rental. Gotcha. Yeah. The nope. first one, the second one, and then Wes Craven's New Nightmare Sweet. are all streaming. Okay. So four out of ten. And she says stream it. Okay. Thank you. Boy, the... The sci-fi podcast, they're uh, you know, they're they're tough. They're to impress. hard on on yeah. They they are tough on movies, especially Station is tough with her ratings. She she takes after Jay of the Dead there. This may you guys actually make me feel better though because I'm usually like I'm usually the person who's like the hard A. You know, I'm like you know giving everybody a rough time and getting directors mad and stuff. And my ratings. Talk to us when there's a robot in it. <laughs> Maybe some time travel or an alien. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you're a lot more forgiving, I see. Yeah, so for Jay of the Dead here, who speaks in third person at will. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I I actually enjoyed myself in this movie. I think the Dream Warriors needed a little bit more fight to them. But you know what? Here's the thing. I do not want, having said that, I do not want the monster to be too evenly matched. I mean, if he's not menacing and scary and a true threat, I mean, if they can knock him around a bunch, then it is going to take away some of his um, scariness. And honestly, the reason I love, I won't say love, the reason I admire this film the most is because of the, the artistry here. There's a lot of great imagery in this and the imagination that goes into it. I mean, usually I'm against that stuff. I like my horror to be set in the real world, everybody. But if if I got to be in a Freddy movie, watching a Freddy movie, I want to see some some great uh, great ideas brought to the screen, and I think this has it. So, I mean, I give this the same number rating as I give the first one, actually, which is a 7 out of 10, and I call it a strong rental. Awesome. Sweet. Okay. So, there we have it. So, Josh, you're the high, you're the high watermark on this particular film. You've... Mm-hmm. Does that make you feel uneasy? Because I like how I, you went for it. No, I'm. I was debating a seven myself, but you know what? I really liked it, and it's the standout from the franchise for me so far. So I'm sticking with eight, baby. Yeah, you're not alone. I think a lot of people will be joining you on that because it seems to me, from what I've heard from various horror fans over the years, this seems to be one of the more like well favored movies. So. Anyways, we're grateful that everybody joined us for this wacky episode. This is honestly, Josh, would you agree this is probably the weirdest episode ever of Horror Movie Podcast? It's funny because it comes right on the heels of David, one of our listeners from the UK, saying that no matter what we do, we can't make a bad episode. We were arguing what was better, the franchise reviews, the themed episodes, or the Frankensteinian episodes, and... David said, you know what? They never make a bad episode no matter what. Wow. That was we showed him wrong. <laughs> we're proving you wrong tonight, buddy. <laughs> that was generous. And I have to say, and, and Josh will agree, I'm certain, our guests, you know, Chris Robo, Matt Troyd, and Station were tremendous. Okay, but I, I like, screwed up this whole thing. So... <laughs> I don't think so. I can't. I honestly cannot figure out where you're coming from on that. Well, here's the thing, Station, and this isn't directed at you. 
Everybody can just go to hell because I'm tired and I'm going to bed. I'm just Everybody kidding. Everybody but Station can go to hell. That's right, including That's Metroid right. and Josh, especially. That's what I say. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. I, I love you all, and I love the listeners, and I just want to thank everybody for um, maybe giving me a pass on this. I mean, I know people make fun of me in the comments as usual, but um, I'm just really tired right now, and so I just want to like. Don't crack. forget to take your hypnosis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway. You think that's bad? Just wait till the listeners hopefully tune into the alien episode where I can't even remember a word I was thinking of. <laughs> Let's talk oh, about that, actually. Um, please tell them about what is in store for them right now over at the Sci Fi Podcast. Well, fortunately for us, we have the always incredible, immaculate, daring, brave, bold, Mr. Flex with 2X himself. <laughs> Jalian on our site, on our show, uh, show up as the awesome guest. It was so fun. Uh, I spent a lot of time editing that, and I probably could have cut like an hour of my own voice and done everybody a favor, but it was really cool. Um, great episode. And, and in that episode, I had one word to describe each of the first three Alien movies, and wouldn't you know it, I couldn't actually remember the third word to describe the third movie. <laughs> and it became such, I don't know, well, that's not a word I can use, but it became such a calamity or a calamitous event that I actually spent the rest of the evening, like, really pissed off at myself. Um, and when I can't I believe, oh, man, that was dumb. I just can't, oh, man. No, I grumbled more. If you're going to impersonate me, do a good job. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just so mad. Anyway, it was really like bad. The criminals on Home Alone. Raza, fraza, raza, raza. So, yes, yeah. that's exactly where I was. And, and in case people didn't follow Matt just now, I mean, I followed you because I was there, but I loved it. In the Alien episode, Matt had this really profound summary of each film in one word of the Alien films, right? Alien 1, 2, and 3, right? That's correct. Yep. And, and, and when he got to the... <laughs> the third one. Oh, this sucks all over again. He couldn't remember what, what his word was, and it was really bothering him, and we tried to help him. <laughs> By insulting the hell out of me. <laughs> but to no avail. <laughs> I hope you left all that in, because it was actually pretty humorous. But um, I did, because Station said later on, I hope you left all that in. Because <laughs> it was awesome. I did. I did wow. for everybody except me. It was me. so unbelievably anticlimactic. It was yeah, so um, beautifully, hilariously way. painful. But, but those Alien reviews, there are two episodes covering the Alien franchise over on the Sci-Fi Podcast. And if you guys are fans of the Alien franchise, I'm dead serious. These are must-listen episodes, not because I'm on it, but because the Sci-Fi people bring it when they talk about Alien. I mean, this is seriously in-depth stuff. Must listen. You will not be disappointed, guaranteed. Yeah, thank you. It was a blast. Way, way less in depth than I would have liked to have gotten. But as it stands, after editing, we're at about five hours for the two episodes. <laughs> so, and I edited a considerable amount of content out because there was just, you know, like it goes, there's just stuff that doesn't work because there's talking or coughing or 17 year old sons coming in and starting to talk, even though they know you're on a podcast. Um, and that did happen. But, uh, Please check them out. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up, including 
a very special episode with Andrew WK, who's going to be a guest on uh, the sci-fi podcast. So yeah, tune in. I guess this is probably, should probably just get my plug right here, right? Do it. Do it, brother. Please listen to the sci-fi podcast where we discuss all things science fiction. You can find us at www.thescifipodcast.com. You can download and uh, subscribe on Stitcher and iTunes, which I suggest you do. Please leave a comment on iTunes because that does help us quite a bit, actually help us uh, become more discoverable to other people who may be searching for good science fiction content. Please come to our boards and post there. You can also uh, read some stuff that I write at heraldextra.com backslash entertainment, where I write under the name Gary the Unicorn, and I make English language look much dumb. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right. Thank you. And uh, what about you, Station? What, what do you have to tell the listeners? Um, well, pretty much just ditto to what Matt said. Uh, listen to everybody. Just listen to everybody. Uh, we're all a big happy family and um, yeah I'm super super excited about Andrew WK oh my goodness so excited so that's going to be awesome Um, listen to horror movie podcast and podcast movie of the week I think it's called (laughs) I think it's called weekly podcast movie (laughs) yes the the podcast itself is just as dumb as its title. So yeah. What about little streaming podcast? I think that's the other one that Josh does. <laughs> the little streaming podcast. <laughs> exactly. You guys are nailing it right now. Oh, nailing it. No, the thing that I really need to plug is that I finally got my custom plates. Oh yeah. Guess what oh, it is? Oh, station wagon. Oh, oh, dude, that's amazing. I you, love you, that. When they said that, you said no. I don't remember that. Look at Matt. We'll fight to, about this later. He's trying you know? to say he came up with that, Josh. Okay, I that did. was amazing. But <laughs> guess what? Do you know what it is, Josh? For reals? No. No, no. B G S J R N Y. Oh, yeah. Bogus Journey. Yeah. Oh, no way. I'm going to get a custom rim that says my other ride is a phone booth. Uh, nice. <laughs> the other that's person so that can awesome. say it's Superman, just to be fair. <laughs> that's that's. I true. want her to get D A M M E because then we would have had a mini Van Dam. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. No, I like him. Anyway, that's my plug. All right. That sounds very entertaining. Sci-fi <laughs> out. <laughs> okay, Wolfman Josh, what do you say for your plugs? What do you want to tell the listeners and apologize about right now? I want I want to tell the <laughs> listeners that if uh, if they would like to control their dreams, <laughs> here here's what I do. It's the really simple. Book out by Josh Legary. Just I I think really intensely as I'm preparing to go to bed about whatever I want to dream about, and I think about it. Like, as I'm trying to fall asleep, I'm just like concentrating, concentrating, concentrating on what it is I want to dream about. That works for me about 70% of the time. Does it really? Yeah. And then once you're in your dream, it's about trying to figure out that you're dreaming. So you try to make the laws of normal physics not work. So it's about doing things that would not work in the real world to find out that you're dreaming. Anyway, I've had Russ Napoleon. That for me has worked about fifteen percent of the time. But I'm, uh, but I'm telling you, when it works, it's joyous. Do you have yes. charts and notes on this? I actually used to keep a dream journal. Dream journal. Yes. 
because because it's supposed to help you be able to control your dreams better. But I don't do that. Wow. I'm not that intense about it anymore, but I do like what I'll do is I just listen to a podcast or music that is along the lines of what I want to dream about. And that that still works for me about 50 percent of the time. Josh, That's awesome. You're like a real life dream warrior uh, right, right now. Well, funny you should mention that because what I would like the listeners to do for this episode is go to horrormoviepodcast.com and in the comments section, write what, if you were a dream warrior, what would your special ability be? In my dreams, I'm beautiful and bad. What are you? Are you flying around like Jason? What are are you doing? So go over to Horror Movie Podcast. Let us know what it is you would be as a dream warrior. What's your special skill? You also need to write a review if you haven't so far, preferably five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done that. And if you do those two things, you'll be entered in a drawing for, this is going to be cool, the original vinyl single of Dream Warriors by by Dawkins. Dawkins, yes. Wow. You're going to be rocking with Dawkins on your your vinyl. Yeah, it's going to be happening. So That's amazing. Make sure you make sure you enter this contest and by letting us know what you want to be in your dream and leaving us a five-star review and then yeah, you'll be in the drawing. <laughs> That's so cool. And also further follow me on Twitter at Sarts and listen to my other podcast moviestreamcast.com as well as the rest of the lovely movie podcast network including Jason and Matroid and Stations shows here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And uh, just want to tell people on our website, horrormoviepodcast.com, we are currently doing a 31 Days of Horror blog review, which is mostly Dr. Shock, second mostly Josh's reviews. And I'm doing one a week. Well, they will have been going on for like two weeks by the time they hear this. Yes. Well, fingers crossed. Can I have a shout out real quick on that? Shout it out, brother. If you go to heraldextra.com backslash entertainment and search Gary the Unicorn, you can find my 31 movies for Halloween last year, uh, where I actually wrote an article for 31 movies. Sloppily. Nice. That's, that's what we're doing. We're writing. We're each writing a blog post for each. So Very you should cool. do it again. This you should do it again this year, buddy. Do it. Yeah. Do I have zero time, guys? Starting okay. tomorrow, because tomorrow's October first. Do a sci-fi horror a day. Are there 31 sci-fi horrors? (laughs) (laughs) There's at least 15. Did you say sci-fi horrors? I know a sci-fi whore. (laughs) So, uh, Matt. His name's William Solo. Matt, you should post. I will post it in the show notes, or you should come and post it in the comments so people can find your articles as well. Please do. Yeah, I will, for sure. Please do. Yes, and the other things I want to tell people, so there are the blogs on the website. And then check out Joel Robertson's Spooky Flicks Fest over at the Forgotten Flicks Remembers podcast. Nice. And then the Resurrection of Zombie 7 with Ron Martin. Uh, He's doing some great things for Halloween as well. And of course, always check out Movie Podcast Weekly just because you feel sorry for us. Well, what's what's going on at GeekCast Live with this fear thing? I... I was actually going to apply, but the time period passed me by because I thought I've never done role playing before. But if I'm going to do it, a Halloween themed horror one sounds super exciting. Yeah, yeah. that whole thing sounds really cool. It's I believe it'll be cool because those guys are super creative and really good. And they have commissioned uh, Dr. Kyle Bishop, Dr. Rocking Dead himself, as kind of an advisor 
oh, nice. to their uh yeah spoiler that means it's zombie related <laughs> <laughs> i'm just trying to just trying to get the teasing out there so people will be intrigued i do not know what's going on with it to be honest and so we should all follow up with geekcast rye because dude i'll look it up and put a link in the show notes for that as well because i am super interested i really wanted to participate in that well there i mean who knows there may still be time to participate is it closed? Did he close it? Yeah, already? they passed their casting on. I believe it was September fourteenth was the last day they were. Right, but did they actually? Casting tapes. Did they announce it? Mm. Okay, yeah. So I don't know if that, I mean maybe I assume the turnout was great on that, but maybe if it wasn't, maybe there's still time. Just saying, probably not at the time this releases. <laughs> so, anyways, good job, Josh. This is definitely our weirdest episode ever weirdest ever and of course we love your comments so please get involved in the horror movie podcast community just keep them coming you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode or any episode or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789 and we would love to get some nightmare on elm street related voicemails please by the way you can also follow us on twitter at horrormoviecast so on and so forth subscribe on iTunes for free. Thank you. You can find all our past episodes, including the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. It'll be linked in the show notes for this episode. Oh, and don't forget to check out Dr. Shock's website at dvdinfatuation.com. He had totally, completely intended to be here tonight. He even rewatched these movies for the occasion. But apparently there's a gigantic storm on the East Coast right now coming in from Hurricane Joaquin or something or other. And his power was completely out. So no Dr. Shock. But you can still give him the love by visiting him at dvdinfatuation.com, leaving him a comment. He's on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. And of course, check out Kyle Bishop at Dr. Walking Dead, Dr. Walking Dead on Twitter. And Kyle's got two books now. So check those out. They'll be linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 71. So we thank you once again for listening and join us again next Friday for the continuation of our Nightmare on Elm Street franchise coverage where we're going to be covering the fourth and fifth films. And I think we have some great special guests lined up as well. So this weird episode has been another edition of Horror Movie Podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies.